Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode four of season nine, and it's being delivered to you all wrapped up in a cardboard box of information stuffed with the plastic air pillows of relevance. That's because we're talking about packaging today. Every single kitchen or bathroom project you do generates loads of it as you take every single component out of its wrapping. Most of you will probably take it all away and dispose of it in the best way you can. And while a lot of it might be able to be recycled, a lot of it isn't. And it's all just one more thing that you have to think about. But who is actually responsible for it? And what is being done to try and reduce it and at least make manufacturers in particular think much more about what they use and how much of it is necessary? I'm talking to our expert, Josh Karadi-Remy from EcoVeritas, and he'll be filling us in on Extended Producer Responsibility, or EPR, and the changing laws around packaging. Stick with it, it's much more interesting that that last sentence has actually made it sound. But first... Today's episode is brought to you with the support of our very good friends at Law Chris. They lead the field in wood-based panel products, laminates and edgings with big brands such as Emporio Skin, Chronospan and many, many more. With over 40 vehicles in their fleet, they can provide next day delivery on all stocked products. And you can find out all about them at lawchris.co.uk. And that link is in the episode description. Okay, as promised, let's unpack our expert from a box full of polystyrene what's-its and welcome Josh Karadi-Remy. Hello, Josh. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Well, it's very good of you to spare the time, so thank you very much. Now, let's start with a quick explanation of you and your company, EcoVeritas. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm Josh Karadi-Remy. I'm commercial manager for EcoVeritas. I've been with the business for about three years now, um, but I've been in the the world of extended producer responsibility for about 15 years, primarily helping uh, FMCGs, retailers assist with producer responsibility data reporting. So, well, I'm sure we'll get into the complexities of it later, but it is quite a complex and arduous process that they have to go to. So I I support with that. EcoVeritas as a business, we're an Oxford-based company, and we're kind of spread across the UK now in Oxford, Leamington Spa and Manchester. And we've been around since the 90s, helping companies comply with producer responsibility, packaging waste to be specific. Primarily did that for department stores in years gone by. And so we created acknowledged methodologies for department stores and it's grown out since, since then. And we work with grocery retailers, FMCGs, um, all different companies from all different sectors and industries. And we, we're still doing that today. I mean, I think the fact that you exist, Josh, demonstrates how complicated some of this stuff is and how difficult it is to get your head around it. So what we're going to try and do today is, is simplify it to the point of it for idiots like me, right? <laughs> so we're going to look at packaging. And can you just give us an overview of why it's such an issue here and now? I mean, we know it's important, obviously, in recycling, everything, that kind of thing. But why is it a big issue now? And just how big a problem is it? Well, it's, it's a bit of a multifaceted answer in that just the sheer abundance of, of packaging that, that we have today. So if you, if you go back, you know, years, decades and decades compared to now, you know, fruit and veg and all the products that we, we consume, they've never been fresher. The shelf life is really, really long. And that is in large part due to the packaging and the develop, developments in packaging and the way that goods are protected. So packaging is, is a fantastic thing. The only thing wrong with it is how we treat it when it comes to its end of life. And because of the sheer abundance of it, it, it ends up becoming a, an environmental issue. Things really started to change and, and the consumer's view on packaging started to change when we had the Blue Planet effect a few years back where Blue Planet aired and it showed sort of the extent of the plastics 
ocean plastic problem. And since then, the consumers have really taken note of how treating packaging badly at its end of life has impacted on the wider environment. I think that plastics sometimes gets an unfair deal because that's the main focus. You know, all materials have to be considered, you know, paper, glass, aluminium, steel, plastics, wood, um, and other materials like textiles and hessian all need to all need to be considered um, because they're all, you know, they all at some point become waste and they all need to be treated with respect at that point. They need to be reused or recycled where possible. Um, and I think it's that mechanism that isn't as good as it should be, particularly in the UK. The recycling and reuse element is still not where it needs to be. So what we're talking about today, extended producer responsibility, and the reform around that is the mechanism to try and improve that part and improve the way in which packaging is treated at its end of life. Right. So this EPR, this extended producer responsibility is what it's all about. So this is a law that's basically changing. Broadly speaking, it's a law that's changing. That's either has changed or will change depending on where you are. Fill us in on exactly what EPR is, extended producer responsibility. What is it for total idiots like me? So if I take you on a bit of a journey uh, from the 90s to today. In 1994, the EU came up with a waste directive and it was a way of encouraging the EU member states to divert packaging away or certain waste streams away from landfill. And particularly around packaging, they asked each EU member state to come up with their own set of legislation to to do just that. So in essence, the EU came up with certain recycling targets for the different materials of packaging. And then each EU member state had to implement their own set of legislation to meet those targets. So when the UK was part of the EU, they did that. And in 1997, we had the first producer responsibility regulations come out in the UK and which put an onus on companies that turned over more than two million pounds and handled more than 50 tonnes to report data to the Environment Agency once a year on their packaging usage or the packaging handled. I'll go into what handled means later on. So that's been going for the last 26 years. The system back then obviously was created for industry in the in the 90s and the world's a, a different place now and compared to the 90s with e-commerce especially. But also the regulations back then were created, uh, this might be a controversial statement, but they were created really with in mind of keeping the cost of compliance low for businesses. So it was all about keeping the cost low. And it was very, very successful in doing that. The UK was the cheapest place to do packaging compliance in the EU um, by some distance, um, and it still is. So it has been successful in that. Where it hasn't been successful maybe is the encouragement of recyclability or the choice of packaging materials, that type of thing. So if we go back to the very core of what extended producer responsibility is all about, it's all about diverting a waste stream away from landfill. So in this context, we're talking packaging and it's encouraging a more circular approach to packaging. So we're talking about re- reusability, recyclability and that sort of stuff, which under the current regulations, as they've been in the last 26 years, hasn't really been a, a factor. It's not really come into play in, in terms of the choice of material apart from your compliance fee being determined by recycling evidence, which I'll go over in a second. It's not really been about we should choose this packaging because it is more sustainable. That didn't really come into it. Going into the future, so the old packaging regulations, as they've been since 97, have now ended. We are now moving into a new era of extended producer responsibility, which will put much more responsibility on the producers. And when I say producers, I mean I mean UK businesses. In particular, there'll be a focus on brand owners. So before, the obligation for handling packaging was split through the supply chain. So you're obligated on packaging depending on where you sat in that supply chain. So you'd have importers, you'd have 
raw material manufacturers, which are like paper mills, steel mills. You'd have converters, which are essentially packaging manufacturers. You'd have pack fillers, which are companies that add packaging to products. So where most companies fit in is the packing filling stage. And then you have selling, which is supplying packaging to an end user, i.e. retailers. So when it was split through the supply chain, you were obligated for a certain percentage of the packaging that you put on the market. So if you're a packer filler, for example, where most companies fit in, you're adding packaging, you'd be obligated for 37% of that packaging. So for every 100 tons of cardboard you used, you'd be obligated for 37 tons of that. Moving forward, they're putting 100% of obligation on what they now call a producer type. So one business picks up all the obligation for all the packaging they handle, depending on where they sit. And the main one is brand owner. So before a company might be packing up boxes for a particular company, it has their brand on it, and that would be their responsibility to declare. Under extended producer responsibility, which comes in this year, the brand owner will now need to take responsibility for that packaging because the brand owners have ultimately the choice on what packaging they use. So if I'm a retailer that's selling, for example, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola are the guys that handle or have the choice over what material they use. Me as a retailer, I wouldn't have any sort of say in that process. So now, whereas as a retailer before, I would have had a share of the obligation. So going forward, all that share of the obligation belongs to the brand owner, in this example, Coca-Cola, would have to, you know, they would have to pay for all of that packaging at its end of life through extended producer responsibility. So that's the big change that that we've got being introduced this, this year. There's a few more producer types. We've got brand owner, We've got packer filler if there's no obvious brand on the packaging. We've got importers. So if you're importing packaging into the UK, it also affects you. And the thresholds are not changing. So you'll be classed as a large producer if you turn over more than 2 million and handle 50 tonnes of packaging or more. Um, you're obligated as a large producer if it's between 1 and 2 million turnover and 25 to 50 tonnes of packaging. So um, they're bringing in more companies to the regulations as well by dropping that threshold a little bit. Um, and if you meet those thresholds, you will have reporting responsibilities and some sort of cost responsibility for the packaging that you put onto the market. It's a very, very long <laughs> explanation of what it's about, but EPR is, is one of these things. It's, it's highly complex. There's quite a lot to it. It's a bit of a minefield, to be honest, for businesses to, to cope with. And hence why, you know, coming like you, Eco Veritas and experts like me exist is to try and navigate that because depending on what type of business you are, the obligations vary quite drastically so you have to really treat every company individually to see exactly what they're doing with packaging where it's coming from what they do with it within the business and then ultimately where where is it going so there's quite a few things that you need to consider what's interesting about this is this is just packaging right and so this is just one small element yeah, it has a lot of impact, but one small element of what companies have to do to become compliant with all the regulations and all the certifications that are coming down the line to do with sustainability. Just one bit of it. Already, it's really complicated, right? Yes. So... <laughs> Um, this is what's so fascinating about it. I think people sometimes when they just see a cardboard box outside their door or whatever and they go, oh, this is ridiculous. Why have they got, why have they got all this packaging? It's, it's just not as easy as it may, may first seem. So, look, let's, let's start. Let, let's sort of take a kitchen bathroom example. I know you're not an expert in kitchen bathrooms. I'm not pretending you are. But at the top of the supply chain, I make kitchen doors in my factory here in Penge. What does that mean for me i make them in my factory here i obviously package them up individually because i don't want them damaged and i send them out from here so if it's got my name on it am i 100 responsible for all the packaging so the simple answer would be yes so if under under extended producer responsibility if your brand is on the packaging so it's an ob- obvious trademark that belongs to you and that's on the packaging 
that would be 100% your responsibility to declare under EPR. So you would be classed as the as the producer of that of that packaging. Yes. So where it might differ, and you have to break packaging down because obviously there's, there's different layers of packaging. You have primary packaging, which is you know could be the packaging. Don't have more layers, Josh. I'm confused <laughs> enough as it is in my factory and uh, packaging is a is a is a complicated thing, but. You, under the new regulations, they do want you to consider the, the layers of packaging. So we have three different layers. You have primary, you have secondary, and you have transit. So primary would typically be something that's directly around the product. So more in the context of, if you think grocery retail, anything you buy from a grocery retailer is in primary packaging. Secondary would be sort of anything like a carton uh, layer. So you, the carton outer itself, the plastic void fill, that sort of stuff. And then you've got transit packaging. So you've got pallets, shrink wrap, banding, layer pads, that type of thing. All that packaging needs to be considered and all those will have different components. So if we're taking a kitchen door, for example, I imagine there won't be much primary packaging because that's going to be sold to, I guess, to, to a commercial business where they'll only require a secondary layer that will protect the door in transit. That'll sort of blend into the transit where it might have a bit of shrink wrap or some corner protectors, that type of thing. Each of those packaging components you have to identify individually. If this this business had its its brand on certain parts of the packaging, it might be obligated. It, you know, if it had someone else's brand on it, it might be their obligation. Let's say it was a, another brand, it was your customer's brand that was on the packaging, on the cardboard like layer, it would be their responsibility. But then you're adding unbranded corner pads or shrink wrap that hasn't got any brand on, that would be your responsibility. There's quite a lot of things going on and you have to look at it from what we call a component level. So you have to look at every different, you treat every individual packaging component individually and you'll be obligated in different ways on different packaging components at different layers. So it really becomes, like I said at the start, it becomes really multifaceted um, when you're looking at this. You have to treat everything individually. Okay, so let's follow the chain a bit more. What if the stuff I make in my factory in Penge is white label? I'm making it for someone else and they put their branding on the box. Yep, that would be their responsibility, yes. Would be a customer's responsibility. So, yeah, so I imagine there'll be certain elements of the packaging or certain components of packaging that have your customer's brand on and that would be their responsibility to declare that packaging and pay for it as a producer under EPR. So say I, I make stuff that I goes to a distributor and the distributor sells it to the final retail. If... I've, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to work through it in my head. The box has got my branding on it, but the distributor puts it on pallets, wraps it in shrink wrap, whatever it might be, and they're the ones that are transporting it around. Who's responsible for the pallets and the shrink wrap and the branding and whatever else? So that would be the distributor's responsibility. So if they're brand new, empty, unbranded packaging, that would be their responsibility as what we call a packer filler. So if there's no obvious brand or trademark on the packaging, it belongs, the obligation then belongs to the company that adds the packaging. There's a whole other discussion about uh, reusable packaging as well. So traditionally, you know, things like pallets are reusable. So if you're using what's classed as a reusable item of packaging, like a pallet, you only declare or are obligated for wooden pallets that are added the first time. So brand new wooden pallets would be your obligation to declare as user, reusable packaging. Again, there's, there's quite a few moving parts depending on the layer of packaging. But going back to your question, yes, if it, it, let's say it's all new packaging, the distributor adds it all. It's unbranded. It would be their responsibility. Okay. So the whole kitchen would arrive at Mrs. Smith's house where the installers are waiting to put it in. And that's the point where all these things come out of the boxes. And that's the doors, that's the, the taps, that's the washing machine, that's everything. Who's responsible for what? I know that the, the if there's a brand on the box, fair enough, but they take the tap out of the box and they've got the empty box in their hand. And that box might have a brand on it, 
but what am I supposed to do with it? So if you're an installer, yeah, if, you, if you're an installer, you're the end user of the product, you'll, t- you'll typically have no obligation under EPR. You'll just have, if you're a commercial business, you'll have a responsibility to ensure the environmentally sound disposal of the, of the packaging. But in terms of EPR, you wouldn't have any responsibility at all. That responsibility would lie up the supply chain unless you're the one specifically ordering a product made to measure where it's got your brand on it. If it's got your brand on it, it's your, it's your responsibility. But assuming that's not the case, you're just an installer, wouldn't have any responsibility as a producer there. Okay, I get that. So I've, I've made the kitchen door, I've packaged it up and sent it out, an installer has unpackaged it, how do I, as the manufacturer, know that they're not just chucking that in the skip? I guess you don't, is the, is the key. The only way you could ensure that they don't do that is if you if you backhaul the waste, but then that has the, its own logistical questions of how you go about doing that. So you notice a lot of, a lot of businesses will drop something off and they, they'll, they'll take the waste back with them to ensure that it is being disposed of properly. That's about all you can do to ensure you know for 100% it's being disposed of in the right way. So what am I declaring then? Because I can declare how much packaging I'm putting out into the world, but I can't, I can't make any declarations about how much packaging I'm getting back or is being disposed of correctly. The way you, you have to declare it is the, the volume onto the market. So let's say you're a, you've got 100 tonnes of cardboard boxes and you've packaged up that 100 tonnes of cardboard box, boxes and it's got your brand on it. You would be obligated to declare that 100 tonnes of cardboard through, through the reporting mechanism. So you do that through typically through usage or, or sales volume onto the market because you won't know what happens to it at its end of life but you will know or companies will know what they've sold in terms of units and then it's up to the business to identify how much packaging by weight by kilogram has been sold along with that product so companies have to record data and this is a you know the data part of it is what we do for the businesses we go out and collect data from suppliers and work out you know per product line it has x amount of paper glass, plastic, aluminium at each primary, secondary and transit level. So you're expected to know essentially a bill of materials. You essentially need to have a bill of materials for each product line that you, you sell and that bill of materials should cover the packaging. So for every skew that you, you sell onto the market, you should know exactly how much paper, glass, aluminium, etc. at primary, secondary and transit levels are on that on that product and that's what you declare to the environment agency effectively when you're reporting your data. So it's all to do with what you've sold. This is all sounds incredibly similar to the WE Directive, which, of course, has been around for a very, very yeah. long time. And what I find fascinating about it is it's very easy to track things down the chain, but virtually impossible to track things up the chain. Mm. Therefore, I sort of see the point of declaring how much waste you're putting out into the world or products you're putting out into the world. But if there's no way of knowing what happens to it at the other end, it then just becomes a moral obligation of the person who opens the box yes yes indeed well there's other sets of regulations to assist with that as well so we have we have some regulations coming in called the consistent collections regulations so what those aim to do is they aim to standardize the waste collection for both local authorities and commercial businesses so it'll be a legal requirement for each local authority in the uk to segregate the waste in the same way so where i live in in warwickshire i'm sure the waste that i get collected is completely different <laughs> to what you what you get collected it'll be in a different format you know i might have a, a bin that takes cardboard and plastic all, and the metals at the same time whereas you might have to separate those out in your bins um, i don't get any food waste collected but you might at your end each local authority particularly in england is all different there's no there's no real standardization so they're bringing in laws to standardize the waste collections um 
by by local authority. So no matter where you live in England, um, Wales and Scotland, Northern Ireland, you'll be able to get the same waste collected. And those rules will also apply to commercial businesses as well. So all commercial businesses will be required to have recycling facility um, ways to collect material separated by the plastics and, and, and the cardboards and the food waste and have that collected by an, uh, a licensed waste carrier and sent off for recycling. So there are regulations coming in to kind of assist with this. Um, and without that, EPR doesn't really work because you have to have the mechanism to collect the waste at its end of life so that it can be calculated what producers need need to pay. Yeah, because that's where it gets incredibly complicated. Because as you say, our kitchen can have hundreds and hundreds of parts to it. Each individual part has lots of packaging around it because obviously you don't, you don't want to buy a door that's scratched. Absolutely, or yeah, and that's the main thing, yeah. So you obviously got lots of cardboard, but there's also the banding. There's loads of polystyrene, the polystyrene blocks that just seem to blow away. There's lots of plastic in there. And I understand why the producers should have lots of responsibility to minimise packaging and to use the best materials possible. But to have no onus on the person who actually throws the packaging away, the system seems slightly skewed. Yeah, I think the thing with it is, if we take kitchens aside, most... Most end users of packaging are consumers and citizens. So there's quite a big focus on providing the facilities for them and for producers to cover the cost of what citizens do with waste at their end of life. So I mentioned the, when we're doing the data for EPR going forward, that you'll need to split out the level, the levels of packaging by primary, secondary and transit. And the reason for that is, is that primary packaging will be treated as what's known as household packaging. So household packaging will attract a higher fee in terms of compliance compared to secondary and transit levels because secondary and transit levels will be disposed of via a commercial mechanism. So if you're selling primary packaging, it's classed as household. Producers will be required to fund local authority collections. They'll be required to make investments into anti-litter campaigns, commonly littered items, and provide a bit of extra funding compared to the waste streams that are typically disposed of at a commercial level. So you'd say that at a commercial level, even though it's impossible to, to manage if you're a supplier into them, you'd say at a commercial level, you use probably less risk of the waste becoming you know, fly-tipped or something like that. That's what you'd like to think, and it's probably fairly accurate that commercial businesses will do the right things with waste, whereas citizens just because there's so many of them it's it's a little bit harder to manage what they're going to do with waste at its end of life and we rely on the local authorities to collect the material and make sure the litter's being collected and picked up and you know our streets remain clear and that type of thing so yeah you're right it is impossible to to monitor what your customers do with waste but you'd like to think that mechanisms are, are coming in and the facilities are going to be there to reduce the risk of it becoming little or pollution it's that infrastructure element of it. I mean, there's that big fuss up in Scotland, wasn't there, about bringing these rules in? Just talk us through that. You talk, you're referring to the deposit return system. Yeah. Yeah, so the deposit return system is that age-old mechanism of you buy a, a beverage container and you'll pay a extra 20p deposit on that beverage container at the point of sale. And then when I finish with that bottle, the idea is I return it and I get that 20p back and the place I returned it to will recycle that bottle. And that's kind of an incentive for citizens to return, so plastic bottles and aluminium cans and, and, and glass bottles and that type of thing. That was meant to come in force in Scotland this year, and that's now been pushed back to next year to go live. I, I make it sound, <laughs> maybe sounds incredibly simple the way I described it there, but there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of logistical issues around that that is quite complex that needs to be dealt with properly. So it's quite an intricate process, but it's essentially at its sort of core that's that's what it is it's paying a deposit on a certain item of 
of waste, in this case, beverage containers. And then when you return it, you get that deposit back. And people that collect it, it's their responsibility to make sure that it goes through the right channels and is, is recycled. And the, the block to that was that the retailers just didn't think the infrastructure was in place to be able to collect that stuff and then, and then get it recycled. Yeah, it's, 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 one, it's one of those where, again, there was just quite a lot of reasons around it. Yeah, the infrastructure obviously is the, bit, the big one. A lot of questions on how much it was going to cost and there's reporting responsibilities that go with it. So there's a, there was a lot of reasons why it didn't go ahead. Um, I just don't think it was ready to launch at that point. So they've, they've delayed it and quite rightly so in, in most people's opinion. Yeah, just to demonstrate the complex nature of even something relatively simple, because I think it's an awful lot of um, village green preservation society type people who remember the idea that you could take your lemonade bottle back to the shop and get a penny or whatever. And, and but it's it's just not that it's just not that simple. Yeah, Def- definitely. And in my person, I mean, this is a personal opinion of mine, not necessarily the view of Eco Veritas, but beverage containers aren't really a problem. <laughs> There's a lot more packaging materials out there that. Are a, are a bit more of an issue than beverage containers that are widely recycled or recyclable, should I say. So things, you want to take plastics in isolation. Again, nothing against plastics, but, you know, flexibles, you know, plastic flexibles and films are much more of an issue than beverage containers. So perhaps they need a bit, bit more focus. That's where EPR comes in because EPR covers all materials. It tries to then use the, 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 the funding from producers to actually provide more support for the recycling infrastructure in the UK um, so that we can recycle more, we can recycle all these complex types of, of packaging in the future. Um, and EPR is putting more focus around around that UK recycling side of things. Um, under the old regulations, a lot of the, the financing mechanism allowed for a lot of material to be exported to recycling in other countries, whereas a big focus going forward will be actual UK recycling. So, you know, investing in the UK recycling infrastructure a lot more rather than allowing it to go abroad um, as it has done in the past. So look, this is just packaging we're talking about today, but EPR, what's the future of that? Does that include all (laughs) all waste? I mean, I've heard rumbles that EPR might include building waste. Yeah, if you're ripping a kitchen out, you'll be responsible for disposing of it, that kind of thing. How far can this go? I guess it's kind of limitless. Extended producer responsibility can apply to any type of waste, literally anything that, that becomes waste it can apply to. So in the UK, we've had packaging, waste electricals and batteries. They're the three types of producer responsibility that we have. And that's typical throughout the EU and the rest of the world. If you, if you see EPR, it's primarily packaging and then we in batteries as well. We stands for waste electrical and electronic equipment, by the way. A lot of acronyms in this industry. So other, other versions, so France, they have textiles, uh, EPR for textiles. That's kind of a big one. Um, so fast fashion, that type of thing. A lot of talk around having EPR for textiles in the UK. I think we're a ways off. We're, we're still tackling this deposit return system and EPR. So I think that might be down the line, but you know, a really good thing to have an extended producer responsibility system around. Other countries such as Canada have a lot more types of EPR. So things around tyres um, and paint, that type of stuff. So yeah, it's really, really is limitless. There can be EPR for pretty much any sort of waste stream. Yeah, which what makes it so interesting in this arena because a lot of focus is on what you're putting into the house. Uh, and if you're if you're fitting a kitchen, it's going to be there for 15, 20 years, and therefore, you, you know, the the recycling element, the recycled element of it, isn't in front of your mind. But if you're ripping an old one out, absolutely, then obviously, if you're responsible for disposing of that, you can't just dump, dump that and escape. You've got to get rid of it in a in a meaningful way, and that's potentially expensive and onerous. Yeah, definitely, and and you know, there they could there could potentially be a, uh, an extended producer responsibility system around you know something like furniture. 
for example, I've heard that talked about before. So furniture at some point eventually becomes a waste. They have to be handled in a certain way. There's potentially hazardous chemicals in there, a lot of different material components that go into making furniture. I guess you could class kitchen um, items uh, within that. Um, that could potentially be something that we see in the future. But I think we are somewhat of a ways off that type of EPR coming in. But like I said, anything that can become a waste stream is potentially a target for EPR in the future um, and making producers financially responsible for these things once they reach their end of life. Yes, and I guess it's the definition of producer. <laughs> yes, that's, that's really the, yeah. the key thing is what who is a producer and, and in, in the eyes of the law, what obligates you, your business as a producer? As we're seeing with EPR, it's the particular change from this shared system where the, the obligations split through the supply chain to now what we call a single point of compliance where it's one business, depending on what you what role you play, whether you're a brand owner, importer, packer filler, depending on where you sit, you'll have an obligation for 100% of the packaging. So it's a, it's a big shift. And you have to, you know, companies now that have been doing packaging compliance since the 90s are now having to reevaluate, okay, where, what producer type am I? I was, you know, under the old system, this is where I knew where I stood, but under this new system, I'm not quite sure. Um, and because it's still early days, we, we haven't even started the reporting yet. That starts in uh, in August for the first six months activity in 2023. It's all a bit of a bit of a bit of a process. Everyone's sort of finding their feet of where they sit, and we're helping businesses to do that and taking taking them through where they sit and what what it means for them. It's so interesting, isn't it? And are you the guy to to tell me why Amazon send out like one packet of batteries in in a six foot box? Are you the guy who can help me explain that? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. I think that's probably a, a warehousing issue um, <laughs> when they're sending out the goods. Uh, like you say, it's, it's people don't really understand the impact that that, that has. But that's obviously Amazon's responsibility to make sure their staff are aware that they they shouldn't be doing that. And I think I think in fairness to them, they do they do try hard on that one. But if, even as an individual, you you want to do the right thing, and I suppose I'm, I'm lots of businesses want to do the right thing and you know lots of retailers i know they do take all the waste away they stick it in a big skip in the warehouse they do pay for like you know waste management companies to come along and and take it away so you know they're doing the right thing because they want to not because they have to and that's absolutely correct but it's just so complicated what you can and can't recycle what you have to separate and what you don't this is just as an individual like if i have a cardboard box that's held together with with like sticky tape does this do i have to take the sticky tape off the cardboard box if it's got those weird sort of staples in it do i say them out. It's a yeah. You know, it's very very complicated, and it's not made easy by the producers to know what the right thing yeah, to do you're, is. You're spot on. It, it, it is difficult. You know, I mentioned earlier all the different you know, components that you have to consider when you you're trying to work out where you sit as a producer. But it's the same as a citizen, as a, as a consumer. You have to work out each individual component whether it can be recycled or not. And you know, the classic is a you know a fruit punnet. If, Usually the tray itself will be a recyclable plastic, but then the, the film lid will not be recyclable. And it's, you know, it's about knowing that you have to chuck the, the film lid in general waste and then the actual punnet in, in your recycling. It's not that, it can, it, sometimes it's not that obvious. What they are bringing in as part of the EPR regs is in 2026, there'll be mandatory labeling requirements for packaging. So there'll be a recycle, do not recycle binary labeling system using what we call the recycle now label. So each packaging component will have to have this label on. So it should make it easier for consumers to identify whether um, an item of packaging can be recycled or not. At the moment, there is a voluntary labelling system called OPRL, um, which is, stands for Unpack Recycling Label. That's a that's a voluntary thing that you'll see in most supermarkets that when you, you, you buy a product, it will have that on. But it's becoming mandatory as of 2026, and that's for all packaging apart from films and flexibles. And then in 2027, 
films and flexibles also become part of the the labeling law so yeah there's big labeling changes as part of this as well a few years away yet but they are coming in it's really hard, isn't it? Particularly for big appliances and things like that, which come in big cardboard boxes, polystyrene, you, know, you don't know what's in there. If on page one of the instruction book, it's, it detailed the packaging and told me what I could and what I couldn't recycle and what I should and what I shouldn't do with each bit, I as a consumer would feel so much better about that brand and that product because they'd really thought about it. Yeah, de- definitely. And that's going the extra mile, isn't it? There's no legal requirement to do that at the moment. But you know, most businesses that do, you can tell that they're, they're passionate about uh, protecting the environment and also assisting their customers that are concerned about waste and, and the packaging they want to do the right thing and you're just giving them the tools to do that josh thank you so much for this. it's so interesting and as you say something which on the surface seems so straightforward really really isn't thanks andrews probably a few of your listeners uh, more confused than <laughs> going out more confused than when they came in but it you know if i just you know, if i close out by saying you know this is complicated there's a lot to it i mean i could talk for literally two hours on extended producer responsibility around packaging alone it's quite difficult to fit into half an hour but we're here to steer companies in the right direction so if anyone's listening and thinks that they do need to, you know they've got a few questions on epr i think that might affect them they can always reach out to us anytime as I say, the vast majority of people want to do the right thing. Yes. And, you know, filtering out what they need to do and what they don't, what they can do and what they can't is a big part of this. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. And it's also been great to have Don Henley, I think we had. We had Elton John. Uh, we've, we've currently got Katrina and the Waves. It's quite nice to have a little sort of soundtrack going on in the background. It's nice. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. What, what more could you ask for? It's good. I feel like, we're, like I'm Ken Bruce. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. We'll catch, look, this, this, this law will change all the time, so I'm sure we'll catch up again on it. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, anytime. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to Josh Karadi Remy of Eco Veritas. And just to demonstrate how quickly it all changes, we actually recorded that a couple of weeks ago. And it appears that since then, for all the reasons Josh describes, the government has decided to defer packaging fees for extended produce responsibility for one year. So that's just the fees bit. Suppliers will still have to do the data collection and reporting. We said it all several times in that interview, didn't we? This all illustrates just how complicated it all is. And that's just the packaging, not the actual products themselves. I'm sure there are plenty of KBB suppliers who have put a lot of work into building up to providing the reporting that Josh has all described, and it's all just a bit confusing, and I'm sure they find it pretty bittersweet. We shall continue to watch it all with interest, of course. Don't forget to have a look at all the other 175 episodes of this show by going to kbbreview.com forward slash podcast or searching KBB Review in your podcast app of choice. I'll see you next time.